This is a Podfire production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. Morning all, this is Brett McCallum and I'm your host of the Awesome Human Podcast. We bring together some of the most amazing people on this awesome planet of ours to tell us their stories, have a few laughs and sometimes tears, but most of all, it's all about them and who they really are. Welcome to Awesome Humans. Today's Awesome Human is Dan Cockrell. Dan is the former Vice President of the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, Florida. He attended Boston University, graduating in 1991, where he earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Political Science. Upon graduation, Dan moved to Florida and worked as a parking attendant at Disney's Epcot Center. He later joined Disneyland Paris Management Trainee Program as part of their opening team, and he moved to France in 1992. While working in Paris, Dan held various management positions in parking, ticketing, guest relations, food and beverages, and human resources. After spending five years in France, Dan relocated to Florida and held a variety of executive roles at the Walt Disney World Resort, both in the theme parks and resorts hotels. His last nine years with the company, he was successfully Vice President of Epcot, Vice President of Disney's Hollywood Studios, and eventually Vice President of the Magic Kingdom, where he led 12,000 cast members and entertained over 20 million guests annually. He earned his MBA in 2001 at the Grummer School of Business at Rollins College. In addition to his operational responsibilities, Dan was a keynote speaker for the world-renowned Disney Institute for 18 years. He's addressed open enrollment participants from all over the world, as well as attendees in custom programs, including the USAA Bank, General Motors, the US Department of State, the US Army, the Southern Methodist University Business School, Porsche AG, and United Airlines. He served on the board of the Junior Achievement of Central Florida from 04 to 18 and was chairman in 2010. After fulfilling an exciting 26-year career with the Walt Disney Company, Dan and his wife Valerie have made their decision to set out on a new venture and start their own consulting and speaking business. Dan provides customized, authentic presentations, insightful workshops and one-on-one coaching, focusing on leadership and management practices, drawing upon his extensive Disney career and relevant examples and inspiring storytelling. Wow. How you going, Dan? Welcome aboard, mate. I'm great, Brett. Glad, uh, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. No worries at all. And you're in uh, Melbourne, Miami, uh, Melbourne, Florida. Is that right? Well, we Melbourne like to Beach. say it's Melbourne, oh, sorry, Melbourne <laughs> Beach, Florida, but I'm learning. I've been talking to a lot of people from Australia recently, and I always tell them, I'm from Melbourne Beach, Florida. That's close. Well, I'll accept that one. <laughs> all right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Mate, what I like to do on Awesome Humans is talk about you. This is all about you, your history, your past, and where you come from. Um, and what the first question I always ask is, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? First memory? Wow, that's an interesting one. Well, I moved, I always, uh, my dad was in the hotel business, and we moved about 10 times before I was in um, 11 years old. So I have lots of memories, man. They're mixed up in all kinds of places. But um, something I remember vividly was uh, my aunt was babysitting me, and I had to take a nap. And I remember putting a pillowcase over myself and trying to sneak out because I figured if she, I couldn't see her, she couldn't see me. So she just saw this pillowcase walking across the living room, and I got busted. But uh, that was one of the early memories. How old do you reckon you were then? Uh, I was probably a, a year and a half. I mean, I was 
I was pretty mobile. My parents had to put bars on the window of our apartment. They had to put special locks because I was an escape artist and I would get up at, you know, three or four in the morning and want to go outside and, and knock on doors to see if anyone wanted to play. So my, and, and I was hungry. I was, a, I was a very hungry kid. So my mom started putting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the kitchen counter and just figured, all right, if he gets up early, he'll go get one of those, eat it and go back to bed, which I started doing. So I was a little bit of a, a wild child, I guess you'd say. You were one of those kids. I was. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. We love that. We embrace that. <laughs> <laughs> what What's the best ever Dan Cockrell story? What's the one you go to? What's the one you tell people? It's like it's one of your greatest moments that uh, you're really proud of yourself and that sort of – I know you do a lot of speaking on stage and stuff. Is there a go-to? Well, I had a moment, and this will – and this is actually a pretty, it's a pretty great moment and I'm not doing it just cause I'm talking to a uh, you know, big audience in Australia. But when I was at uh, university, I played American football. And after my, my first year, I realized I was too slow, too short, too weak and too, uh, didn't have the skills to compete at that level. So as people say, well, hang in there and just keep working hard and it'll work out. I said, no, it's not going to work out. So I quit and I discovered rugby union. I went to school up in Boston and yep. I saw a flyer on a telephone pole said rugby. So I started, I went out and started playing rugby and uh, fast forward, I don't know, six, seven years later, I'm working at Disneyland Paris and I'm playing for a little rugby club right next to the park there. Uh, and we actually took a trip. Uh, I took the train for the day, went up to the, uh, the French Alps and played a match in uh, a place called Enmas. The whole town was there. It was a beautiful day. There was a band playing. There was pigs roasting. And it was, we had a great match. We, we won the match, but we lost the returns. We didn't, we didn't go ahead in the playoffs. But I remember standing there saying, wow, I can't believe I'm in the French Alps playing rugby at you know, 24, <laughs> 25 years old. And it was one of those surreal moments where you really realize how cool the world is and how great. And I just, it, it really inspired me to say, how many more of these kind of places are there? And that really, my wife and I really inspired us to travel as much as we could because we just, we realized over, as the more we travel, we realize how much we don't know about the world and how big this place is. So that's, so we're on a mission now. Excellent. Excellent. So let's go back to the start. Where were you born? I was born in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And as I tell people, they found me in a garbage pail. That's a, that's the story I like to share. Is that the one that the, um, the family tell you as well? Yeah, they, they tried to hide that, but born in Chicago, and then we moved all over the place, settled in uh, Washington, Rockville, Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C., and grew up there. And uh, like I said, I ended up going to college up in Boston for four years, and that was sort of the beginning of my uh, my, my itch to travel. I grew, you know, Growing up, we traveled a lot. I was an only child, so my parents really exposed me to a lot of places, and it really gave me the bug to uh, be comfortable to go places and try foods and meet new cultures and, and kind of be interested in that. So how were you at school, school life? Was that good, bad, ugly? Were you a jock? Were you a nerd? How would you, how would you sort of, and your early schooling days? Yeah. When I was in high school, uh, I like to, I was, I, I like to consider myself the bridge. I was, uh, I was an athlete. I was a really good athlete. I was a very average student, but I was social and I was friends with everybody. Uh, the, the, the nerds, the, uh, the, the, um, all the people who did uh, theater, the athletes, and I connected and I've stayed in touch with a bunch of people from high school and had very little in common with them. But that's always been something that I've, um, and maybe it's because I'm the only child, 
but I love connecting people and I love being connected to everybody. And um, I think my parents raised me that way also. You know, my dad grew up single mother in Oklahoma in the 1950s, and it was not a really, you know, a very uh, conservative, I'd say in the 50s, racist environment. Mm -hmm. And you weren't really encouraged to connect with a lot of others. And he somehow broke that chain. And when I was growing up, he uh, he had made a decision that wasn't going to continue and he wasn't going to have a household that talked about that or did that. And I think that really helped me kind of subtly, subconsciously learn about, you know, respect everybody and, uh, you know, celebrate people and respect people at a base level. And don't, you know, we, we judge often. Um, and we do that out of survival tech, you know, that's, but, but once we realize you just got to, you know, respect people and, and, and treat them fairly. And I'm, I'm, I get worried about the world today. I see how much of that does not happen. Um, but I think, you know, we all should, we, we all need to be the role models. Yeah. And what about mom? Where, how was mom when you were growing up? She was great. Um, I was, you know, to your point, like you said, I do a lot of speaking. I hear these incredible stories of what people have overcome in their lives. And sometimes I get up to give my speech and I say, you know what? I'd love to tell you some incredible story of what I overcame, but boy, <laughs> I had a great childhood. I don't, as far as I know, I don't need any therapy about my mom relationship with my mom or dad. They were fantastic and they were great role models and we got along and we had the normal growing up stuff, you know, were you drinking beer last night? No, I wasn't. Okay. If you lie to us, you're gonna be in huge trouble. Yes, I was. Okay. You're still in huge <laughs> trouble. And I went, you know, I went, I went through all the stuff that kids go through. Uh, but, um, but I had a, you know, and my, my parents have been married for, uh, um, gosh, they're coming up on 50, they're coming up on 54 years in August. So, um, it's been, they've been great role models for me and, uh, they, they still live in Orlando, Florida and I get to see them often. That, that's amazing. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have parents like that and to, for them to leave their mark on you that you can then leave on the rest of the world as well. I think it's uh, pretty special. Absolutely. Yep. So, mate, you went to Boston uh, and you went to university there. And my understanding is you got a bachelor in uh, political science. Is that correct? That's right. That's uh, right. I have no idea why, but that's true. Well, and then you went to start parking cars at Disney. Right. As a lot of people do when they leave yeah, university. They go and get their degree and then they go and start parking cars or they start working behind a bar. Yeah. A good place There's a to great start. return on investment parking cars <laughs> after you spend all that money in college. Yeah, I'd worked at Disney in college. They have a lot of students work there, and I really enjoyed it. And I waited tables in Boston, and I really loved service. I just loved serving people. And so when I graduated, I went back down to Florida and said, hey, I liked working here in college for the summer. Can I get a job? They said, what did you do? I said, I was a political science major. What am I qualified to do? And they said, you should park cars. And so right they put idea. me out in the car park, and I parked cars for about six months. And then at that point, um, Disneyland Paris was going to be opening – about nine months later. So I went to them about after six months at Disney and said, Hey, I want to go to France and help open the park over there. And they said, well, you need a work visa to do that. You can't just go to France and work. I said, well, I applied for one before I left university. So I have a student visa and I can work there for a year and a half. And they said, well, all right, you planned ahead. You can go over. I said, great. I said, what can I do? And they said, well, you can do what you're doing here. You can park cars in France. <laughs> and so I said, Hey, I'll take it. So uh, January 1st, 92, I got on a plane, flew over and got to Disneyland Paris. And I mean, I spoke about six words of French. I had no clue what was going on, but uh, it's incredible how much you can uh, adapt when you have to. And um, was there about three months before the park opened, 
We opened April 12th, 92. Actually, just this past April, they had the 30th anniversary of Disneyland Paris. I can't believe it. Um, Makes you feel old, Five years it? over there. Makes me feel very old. <laughs> but I uh, ended up spending five years in France. Wow. Uh, my wife is French. She worked for Disney uh, before I did. And we met in Florida. We had about a six-week engagement because I, my visa was going to expire. So uh, she still asked me on our wedding anniversaries. We've been married 29 years. She said, did you, did you marry me just to get your work visa, get your green card? <laughs> I said, you know what? At this point, it doesn't really matter anymore. But, and uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, we both worked there for, uh, for five years, and I was in all kinds of different jobs. Disney's big. If you, if you want to move around at Disney, you can. They really like to move, get help uh, employees get different experiences. And so over that 26 years I was there, I had 19 different jobs, and I was always looking for the next job. What, what am I going to learn next? I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that getting multiple diverse experiences was going to help me be more flexible and more valuable in the future. So, um, you know, my, our son was born over there. And then in 97, we moved back to, to Florida and we spent the next 21 years at Walt Disney World. But uh, that five years in France, that is what has probably changed my life. Just having been a foreigner, you know, very few Americans ever get the opportunity to be foreigners. You know, we're such a big country and don't really travel. You have a whole continent to yourself. You're not really not motivated to travel that much. But um, it really changed the way I saw the world. Having been someone who always had a funny accent, it couldn't always quite get the right word, uh, had to, you know, navigate the culture. Um, we've become really, really flexible and vice versa. Valerie now, having lived in the United States longer than she lived in France, has, and we're, we kind of consider ourselves now uh, citizens of the world and kind of embrace that. But uh, it was it was an awesome experience. Um, you know, people always talk about what about this stereotype and that stereotype. And I say, yeah, some stereotypes are true and some aren't. Um, and you just have to basically what you have to do is just start changing. Uh, when I lived in France, you know, you go through your honeymoon phase, which is six weeks where you're just so glad to be there. And then you go through the next six to 12 months of just saying, why do they do it like this? And why, what are they eating? And why is it done? And you get really critical. And then you get to a point, you either get so exhausted that you say you're leaving, or you just say, you know what, I give up. This country's not going to change because I don't approve of the way they do things. So you start changing. Yep. And once you do that, that's when it gets really fun. And, uh, and you start to just adapt and you start to take on uh, the, you know, be, be like the locals. And then you really start to learn a lot. It's when you embrace the culture, I think, is the key there. And yeah. uh, we did that. We lived in the United Kingdom for uh, nine and a half years, had two kids there and stuff. And uh, what we found was uh, exactly the same thing. You, 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 when Once you get through that honeymoon phase, you've done all your traveling around, you know all the local sites. It's like, do we leave or do we stay? And to make that decision right. to actually embrace the culture and, and become like we actually live here now uh, changes, changes your life, I believe. Absolutely. And it, it just, and it was funny because moving back to Florida after five years in France, I didn't even feel like I fit here in the United States yeah, anymore. hundred percent. I just, it just, it, it felt like we didn't fit anywhere. And that, that was a, kind of the strange part, but it was a fun part also for my wife and I. And it's hard when you travel, it's hard to explain to people what you've seen and what you've done because the context is so different. Um, but I had to relearn a lot of American customs. You know, I was, my, my sense of, uh, personal space changed in France, you know, there, everyone's just really close to each other. You're in line, you protect your space. 
when I came back to the United States, I made some people very uncomfortable not realizing it. Cause I'm behind, you know, I'm getting some cash out of a cash machine. Lady turns around. She's like, what are you going to rob me or something? I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even notice how, how close I was standing to her. Cause after five years of protecting your space, you just, you forget, you forget all that. And so it, it's, it's kind of comical when you start to change like that. And now we just figure out when we travel, our kids, our poor kids, we have three kids. They're like, are we supposed to put our hands on the table or under the table? Because, you know, you eat differently in France. Your hands are already always on the table. It's a European custom, I think, to make sure you're not hiding a knife under the table or something. That's what it is. United States, you, you always have your hands in your lap. So, you know, they're, they're kind of ruined. They don't know where they're to fit. So how old are your kids? Our oldest is uh, 26, and we got a daughter who's 23, and uh, our uh, youngest son just turned 21 a couple months ago. And are they, uh, are they class themselves as American, French, a bit of both? How do they? They are, they are dual. Uh, they both have both passports. Yep. Uh, they grow up going to France every summer with my wife. They went to camp. They're all fluent in French. And uh, they didn't like that when they were little. They didn't like being different. They kind of hid that. But once they got older, they realized, wow, I speak another language. I have this passport. Um, our, all of them have worked in Europe at one point and didn't even realize how much that an advantage that was by not having to work, worry about work visas and that kind of thing. So they've certainly embraced their, uh, their, uh, chance to kind of have that, that dual, dual citizenship. Yeah. hundred percent. My kids are all got British passports as well. And it's, uh, they're only just starting to realize now, Hey, I can, I can actually travel and I can do this and do that. And, uh, he said, sure. yeah, that the hard work we did back in the day to enable that <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. That's right. That's right. You're welcome. So in 2001, you did an MBA. Yes. Why? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, when I got out of undergrad, I said, you know what, I'm never going back to school again. <laughs> I just, I didn't take advantage of the time and the education. I did okay. I graduated, but I just, I, I really like learning by doing. And uh, sure enough, eight years later, I realized, you know what? this political science major probably isn't going to get me through. I really should understand how business works. I mean, doing is the, for me, the most powerful way to learn, yeah. but I needed to learn some of the vocabulary and learn some of the you know, basics that people who studied business got. So I went back uh, at that point, you know, our daughter was already born when I started my program and going to get my MBA at night for two and a half years was a pretty big challenge. My wife was holding down the, the Ford at home. I was working full time. Plus, I was going two nights a week to classes and then on weekends working with my group. So it was a pretty challenging two and a half years. At the end of it, on graduation, our son was born. So we had a, that was a pretty, pretty hectic time. But when people say, you know, should you get an MBA? Should you not get an MBA? I, what I say is, look, what I've concluded is there's really three ways we deal with life. The first one is our gut instinct. You make decisions based on, you call it street smarts. Yep. You call it common sense. And that's how you deal with things. And I think we need to listen to that more than we do because we ignore it sometimes. The second is the power of experience. You know, once I've done something once, it gets much easier the second time. So if I keep getting multiple experiences, I just get better and better and better at handling things because I've had practice. And uh, the third way is what an MBA gives you. It's a methodical approach to problem solving. I don't, I'm not sure what I'm dealing with. I've never dealt with it before. Let me just start asking lots and lots of questions to define what the problem is and get there. And I think the case study methodology when you do your MBA was very helpful in that sense. It, it teaches you to ask questions and it teaches you to slow down and not solve the problem, but more define the problem and then come up with a solution. 
And that really helped me dramatically in helping think, me, helping me change how I think about solving problems and giving more, like you said, a methodology to approach them. So do you think that helped your career? It was the path you were on at Disney? Yeah, I did. You know, it's funny. My, Valerie asked me when I first started the program, she said, when you, when you graduate, when you're done, do you get a raise? I said, no, not necessarily. She said, do you get a promotion? I said, not necessarily. She said, well, what do you get? I said, well, hopefully I learned something that I can apply at work and be better at my job. Because then the day that the Disney didn't care what my grades were, they don't, they're just like, you go learn and you come back and you do something that's going to make our company more valuable. And so that was the main thing. So I think probably um, the diploma itself did nothing. Uh, the fact that I showed that I can multitask and, and do it to those probably helped them see that. And I absolutely got better at running a business when I had a you know, more formal education, just understanding you know, the basics of accounting and investment strategy. And, you know, I was an operations guy. I, I wasn't really, you know, I'm not really uh, that uh, uh, passionate about all the analysis and all the numbers. I love working with people. I love getting the job done. I love executing the plan putting plans in place, getting, putting standards in place and, and moving the organization forward. I see the, the financial results as an outcome of all that, but it's still important to understand it because if you can understand the numbers, it's really, you can make some big mistakes. And it just helped me, I think, uh, fill in some of the pieces of that puzzle that I didn't have previously. And Disney's obviously one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, one of the, we've done from here in Australia, we've actually come to America a number of times. I've been to Disneyland Paris uh, we've taken the kids pretty much all around the world, and uh, Disney Cruise is one of the best experiences we ever did. It's all about the service. So people say to me, why would I go on a Disney Cruise if I don't have kids? It's because I would, because it's the service, it's the quality, all that sort of stuff. Is that something that you, you've learnt during the years, or is that something that the people bring to it? Do you get taught that, or do they just find the right people that can do that? Yes. Both. <laughs> Both. Yeah. I'll tell you, and you, you're hitting on something. It's so important. Um, you can't hire, just hire anybody and then train them and change them. And that's what a lot of companies do. They mm -hmm. look for people and they say, look, we're going to train you and we're going to change. We're going to show you how to do this. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you have to hire people who are going to thrive in the culture you've created. And so the Disney culture is if you do not enjoy customer service, and you don't enjoy helping people, hospitality industry is a really bad place to work. I know it sounds obvious, but you got to hire people, A, that enjoy working with uh, the public. They like working on teams. You know, I used to ask an interview question when I was interviewing candidates. I'd say, what is your need for working independently? And if they told me their need was high to be independent, they really enjoyed it working independently, I'd say, well, I appreciate your candor, but you're going to hate Disney. Because no one here works independently. Yeah. We all work inter interdependently. We're always working teams. No one makes a decision by themselves because we're always thinking about all the angles of when we make a decision, how it's going to affect the guests, how it's going to affect the employees, how it's going to affect the financial results. And so um, that, that's, that's probably the, the I, I tell people, let me, let me tell you one of the secrets about Disney. We, um, we hire people that really like working here. We hire people that like smiling and being happy. People are like, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, there's not enough of those people in the world. So we're always focusing on how to, how to select correctly. But uh, I think one of the big beliefs is, uh, and this is for most companies, um, skills and passion are important when you're hiring. But attitude, by far, is, in, my, in my opinion, is the most important thing to look for. 
Because people that have a great attitude overcome barriers, they overcome obstacles, they're self-motivated, and you can give them, you know, pay them poorly, not train them, give them the subpar tools to get the job done, and they're still going to figure it out because that's what people with great attitudes do. And uh, I love to have those people around me. So I'm always looking for attitude. You have a great attitude, I can teach you whatever you need to know, but it's hard to teach people to step up and not give excuses and push through. Um, all those obstacles and push through adversity. But uh, those are the kind of people you want on your team. And we've hired a lot of people like that at Disney to figure it out. That, that's awesome. And, and we, we live by the same philosophy. I don't care. I don't even look at people's CVs. I just look at you as a human being and um, trust your gut, not your head. And those sort of things actually help you achieve things in life. And uh, I think that's probably the best way to recruit anyone. So just on that, absolutely, you have this massive career at Disney. You learn a lot. You you move things forward and all that sort of stuff. What's the day when you go? That's it. No more Mickey Mouse. I'm going to do something on yeah. my own. What, what? What? How did that day come about? Well, it came about about over a year before I actually got the courage to actually leave. <laughs> yeah. But um, I I got home one day from work and uh, Valerie said. Uh, are you happy what you're doing? And I said, of course I am. You know, this is, uh, I work at the most, the happiest place on earth, most magical place on earth. And she said, I don't know. You just don't have that skip in your step like you used to. And I was right. And I, and she was right. I just didn't notice it. And for a year we talked about it. Uh, and I was, I think I was getting older. I was changing. Uh, the company was changing. And things change. And it's easy to say, well, after 26 years, you can't do anything else. And I really thought I couldn't do anything else. But um, she, uh, she said, look, I'm up for you. If you want to leave and go try to do something on our own, we'll do it. And I said, well, what if it doesn't work out? She said, you can always go get a job. I was like, well, you're pretty, pretty cool about this. <laughs> She's like, well, the bottom line is we're not impacting. You know, our kids are growing up. They're out of the house. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're on the back end of the uh, college tuition and that kind of thing. My parents are in good health. They're not counting on us to be around. So no one was, the risk was pretty good calculated risk. Yeah. Uh, and you give up, theoretically, you give up uh, structure and safety for freedom. But then when COVID hit, which was like no one saw that coming, um, all of a sudden you don't even have that. So it was a big, it was a big, it was an emotional decision to make. Once I made it, it got you know, big weight off my soul, shoulders. And for the past four years now, we're learning how to be scrappy entrepreneurs. And uh, the big thing I think when you make a move like that is you got to make sure make sure your ego can handle it. Because mm-hmm. uh, she said, "No, you're you're a big deal. You know, you're running the Magic Kingdom. Are you going to be okay to not have these people around you and have all this decision making power and this authority and this notoriety?" And I said, "You know what? I've had my 15 minutes. I'm ready just to go out and just enjoy." And and when I say enjoy, it's still working really hard. We work really really hard, and I don't mind working hard. But um, the, the satisfaction out of being able to choose where we go and who we work with and being challenged, how do we create new content? Why does anyone want to hear what we have to say? That has been kind of an awakening. So we feel kind of like we just got out of college, except this time we got a little money in our pocket and we are a heck of a lot smarter. It's interesting, isn't it? Because people study for years and they go to a job and then they hate their job and then they just continue in their job and they continue doing this stuff and then a lot of people don't get the taste of what we've had. I've been an entrepreneur for nearly 30 years now. And just the fact that I can make a decision where I am, what I want to do, who I am, how I want to make that work. And 
then make a change in people's lives. And that's what you guys are doing now. So what is it that you're doing now? What's, yeah. what's the yeah. next step? Well, we, uh, Valerie was with Disney for a while. So she was a facilitator at the Disney Institute. Uh, so she's taught leadership and customer service classes. So we run the company together now. Um, I do keynote speeches. I've written a book, How Does the Culture in Your Kingdom, came out two years ago. She's working on a book right now called Manage Like a Mother and really telling the story about how mothers are those great leaders and the, the, the parallels between raising kids and managing and leading Love people. Uh, yeah, and then we, it's really resonated. We've been sharing, and she's been doing some interviews on that, and people are really excited to, to read that. Um, we just left Denver last week, and we're on a five-month road trip making our way. We're here. We were in Dallas last week. We're in uh, Florida for two weeks and we're heading to France for her mother's 90th birthday. And uh, we're going to spend five weeks in Brazil this summer. Um, we're a triple threat in Brazil. I'm American. She's French. We both work for Disney. We're like everything Brazil loves. So we're, <laughs> we're going to where people will love us. And uh, we're doing some work down there. So like I said, we're, every day we learn something new. We're learning how to do this. We're learning the ups, the downs, the mistakes. Um, and just enjoying every, every moment. And uh, sometimes you have trouble sleeping at night. Cause you don't know what you're doing next month. And then, you know, two nights later, you're worried about next month because you got too much going on. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely less structure, less stable than I think working for a big company. And you know, for people who work for big companies, there's a certain peace of mind, I guess, to a certain degree. But, um, um, and, and when we travel also, we, uh, you know, not only do we do workshops and, you know, do stuff, make money, but we, always try to do something at a school or for the community and just spend time with maybe young people who want some career advice. And, um, because, you know, we, like I said, we like making money, but we're in this also just to make a little difference in the world and bring some little bit of sunshine and pixie dust as we travel. So that's, uh, that's kind of how we operate. And then you're going to come out here and see us in Australia later in the year. We are, uh, this IT company hired us to do three workshops, Dallas, uh, um, do one in, uh, the UK, and do one in, um, in Melbourne. So we're going to be there or, or November 30th is the day we're going to be in Melbourne to do this conference, this workshop for this IT uh, group. Um, and so basically when we get a gig like that, we block two weeks on either side. So we're probably going to get there mid November and leave mid December. And right now we're just trying to fill in the calendar. So I've been talking to a lot of people in Australia, talking to some universities and, uh, just connecting. Uh, we're probably going to, I think we're going to host a couple of, uh, maybe cocktail receptions or maybe an event at a pub and invite some business people and entrepreneurs and get to know people. And then I, I've just always learned that you lead with relationship first. And once relationships come together, all the other great stuff happens. And so that's what we're focusing on. We're going to be down there. We'll hook you up on this end with the Gold Coast Innovation Hub, which is where all the startups and uh, all the entrepreneurs hang out. And uh, we'll organize something for you guys when you get out here as well. And we'll uh, give you some great Australian beer. Yeah, I'd say the first round's on us. Uh, even better, even better idea. Hey, what's your greatest achievement in life? I would say um, probably being managing to be married to the same lady that put up with me for 29 years and that. raising three kids that uh, um, aren't in jail yet. I'm pretty proud of that whole thing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, it's been a good run. Now, it's not over yet. You know, you never know. Of course, know. yeah. But, um, but, you know, I think, you know, life is, is full of these ups and downs and, um, you know, how we've kind of come together as a family. And I think a lot of people I've worked with over time, 
Um, you know, a lot of people are proud of projects. We built that attraction. We built that roller coaster. We opened that park. I get more excited about all the people that I've met and maybe given advice to. I had, uh, I had breakfast this morning with a guy. Um, I met him uh, 20, over 20 years ago. He was on the college program at Walt Disney World, and I met with him and gave him some career advice. And uh, he called me and said uh, last week, he said, I'm in town and I'd like to have breakfast with you. And we sat down. He said, I just want to thank you for some of the advice you'd given me when I was in college. You, 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 you networked me with some other people. It really kind of set my, my, my direction. He's lived internationally. He's worked for a bank. He's now a consultant. He, he's a futurist. So he's a pretty smart guy, but it's really cool to be remembered by people. And I, I couldn't remember meeting with him, but I think uh, when you're in the position to help people, you should help them. Uh, Cause you're certainly going to be in the position many times to be helped. And so I think that karma is there. You should help people when you can and pay it forward. A hundred percent, mate. And that's the, uh, that's the way why you're successful because you're open to that. And the, the impact you have on other people's lives is amazing. So that, uh, that's always a good thing to sort of boost your shoulders back a little bit, doesn't it? There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So who is the person or the people, if you have to name one, that's had the most influence on your career? Is there someone you can shout out from, say, Disney or one of those one of those people that gave you your break or was the most influential? Yeah, you know, I, I feel bad when I get this question because I've um, there there hasn't been one. Um, I think um, you know certainly I was lucky that uh, my my parents. Once again, I'll go back to them the way they raised me. Uh, my dad was always good at uh, um, creating choices for me. And the choices he created were pretty, uh, once the question was asked, it was pretty obvious what the choice was, but they very seldomly told me what to do. Um, in fact, when I got out of Boston University, he said, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, well, I'm, I may go down to New Zealand and play rugby for a year, and then I'll go get a job. And he said, you know what? I love that plan. He said, I have another idea. <laughs> why don't you go work? For, why don't you go work for Disney? And I said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll do that. And so that took me off on a whole new, a whole new path. But once again, he's like, it's up to you, but here's what I would be doing if I was in your shoes. And I really trusted them. Um, so um, that was, uh, and we've, like I said, they were great role models for us. And that's how we tried to raise our kids, open up the paths and say, look, you can do whatever you want in your life. You can go to college, not go to college, you, whatever you want to do. We're just going to make sure that we give you the resources and give you the, the direction you need. And then you can make choices as you go. And they've all had different paths and hopefully they're landing in places where they're going to be their best. Um, I think sometimes as parents, you know, it's, there's no easy way to do it. You, it's like, how much do you steer and how much do you let the current take them? And uh, I don't think anyone's ever figured out how to do it right, but we do our best. hundred percent, hundred percent. So what I love to finish my podcast with is some quick fire questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. Favorite food? Mexican. Favorite song? Uh, everybody wants to rule the world. Great song. Favorite place in the world? Probably uh, southern France in the spring and summer, Provence. Provence. I love Biarritz. Yeah. Beautiful part of the world. Great place. Well, what's next for Dan Cockrell? Well, we are going to be hopping on a, a plane here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be in France for a month, celebrating a big birthday, 90th birthday. We're doing a cruise in the Mediterranean with my mother-in-law, um, who, by the way, I think she loves me more than my wife. Yeah, I'm mine not too, mate. Take are. that out of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
And, uh, you know, Valerie and I, now that COVID is starting to lift, we are just looking to just to, to step up and get involved and connect with people all over the world. And uh, we're, we have a big checklist of places we want to go, and we're targeting different countries and hoping we bring a, a, you know, our, the message of our leadership and culture and what we can teach to uh, organizations who are looking for a little bit of direction. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. I appreciate everything you've told us today. And I look forward to catching up with you for that beer here in Australia. You got it, Brett. Thanks for uh, thanks for the time and thanks everyone for listening. Dan, as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks.